Liminal Spaces was a six-year, welcome-funded project at Edinburgh Law School, which scrutinized regulatory systems that support human health research. The vision of the project was to deliver the first-ever integrated, interdisciplinary, and cross-cutting analysis of health research regulation by confronting the gaps between documented law, relevant ethical and social theories and concepts, and research practice. To mark the end of the project in March 2021, the principal investigator, Professor Graham Laurie, sat down with members of the Liminal Spaces team to discuss their research findings. Hello and welcome to this podcast from the Liminal Spaces Project on trust and trustworthiness in human health research regulation. I'm Graham Laurie, Principal Investigator um, on the, the project, and I'm very pleased to be joined by one of our uh, research fellows, Kate Harvey, uh, who's been looking into this topic and who joined us on secondment from the Nuffield Council on Bioethics. Hello, Kate. Hi, Graham. Um, so as a first question, can you tell us why trust is important in health research regulation? Yeah, sure. So I think it's an important question to ask, and I think it's important because there might be a slight inclination to sort of leap in feet first with the nitty gritty of how trust can be demonstrated in health research. So this prior question of why it's important, I think will help us to get to the answers of how research systems can earn trust. So I think with that in mind, there are probably, I would say, at least three reasons why trust is uh, valuable in health research. And each of these three reasons, I think, show that trust is, you know, particularly powerful in health research scenarios. So I think the first reason is that it uh, impacts on people's decisions to take part or not take part in health research. So I guess in simple terms, if we um, trust the offer that's made to us to participate in health research, then we might be more likely to agree to it. So on this reason, we then see trust as a sort of... um, facilitator of, of health research. Second reason it's important sort of builds on the first reason that I just mentioned. So, and that is if we don't trust the offer made to us to take part in research, or we doubt the trustworthiness of those asking us to take part, then we might not agree to participate. And I'm slightly wary that this sort of sounds like a bit of a motherhood and apple pie comment, but I think it's a serious point to make because Without trust, the research might not get going at all because participants can't be recruited. So on this model, then you'd see trust as a sort of mitigator to jeopardy to research. And then finally, I think the third reason, and this is this is probably a little bit harder to capture than, than the first two, is that um, sort of trust, I guess, humanises uh, health research. So when we offer our trust, we're, we're giving something of ourselves and the regulatory system's response to this gift is to let us know we matter. And it does this through prioritising our protection, but also through, um, you know, offering something back to society itself. So this might be through increased knowledge about a particular condition or new treatments. So I think trust is then also important because uh, it supports this sort of solidarity. And, you know, basically people trust the system, the system gives something back. But the aim across both perspectives is to improve health um, and to get these researchers and systems need to be trustworthy and uh, to earn people's trust. Thank you. So um, that's very compelling. I'm struck by the fact that um, the stakeholders that were the focus of your answer there were participants in research. 
But what about other stakeholders? Is trust important to them? Like I'm thinking about researchers, for example. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, uh, you know, some of the important work that liminal spaces have done over the past six years is emphasise this whole system approach. So it sort of sees a, a, the health research sector as, as something where lots of people interact with each other, you know, and it stands or falls on the trustworthiness of everybody working throughout it. I think participants is a, is a you know, an easy route into thinking about trust. But of course, yes, um, trust permeates the system. It has to kind of be reflective in everybody's role in it. So it's absolutely not just, you know, unidirectional, it's multidirectional. Yeah. It's interesting just to, to, to pick up, as you say, we, uh, in the project, we, look, we take this whole systems approach. And in one of our other podcasts, our colleague Ted Dove talks about his work looking at research ethics committees. And before going into that, that empirical research, he had a, a bit of a, 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 an assumption from chatter in the, in the communities that there was a, a mistrust among researchers of RECs that they were trying to sort of get in the way of good research. But actually, the, the empirical work that Ted did showed that actually the, the role of the RECs was to facilitate and promote really good research and to work in partnership with the researchers. So the, the evidence base has confounded that kind of presumption and actually shows that there is a lot of trust in, in the actual relationships that, that, that go on, but they're, they're often not very visible when we look at them from the outside. Yeah, and I think there might be also a sort of tendency to focus on, you know, perhaps one bad example of something and then to extrapolate from, you know, one one example and then make a rule for the rest of the system. Or that there's this sort of power going on. And then we, we think that power represents, you know, a disjuncture between those relationships between a rec and researchers. Whereas actually, as you say, with Ted's research, then, you know, it shows that that's not the case. And I think, you know, that, that highlights why it's important not to make assumptions and, and to kind of, you know, go back to you know, the ground zero of these questions and think about them really hard rather than just kind of go with what our gut tells us. Yeah, absolutely. And coming back to your research now, there's a fundamental distinction that you draw between trust and trustworthiness, and that reflects, you know, work from Honor O'Neill many years ago. But can you share with the listeners why you think that's an important distinction to bear in mind and what it means in practice? Yeah, I, I guess it, it is it's absolutely important. I think it, just trying to sort of think of a way to, um, to present this simply, um, and also not to, um, you know, go into areas that uh, other people have described much better than I. But I think trust describes what um, we offer to people or institutions that we think um, or hope uh, are trustworthy. So this means that trustworthiness is, a, I guess, a, a characteristic of people and institutions that we have, you know, that we have good reasons to trust. Um just think of it. So I guess in other words, whether people give their trust in health research context depends on them finding researchers in their institutions to be trustworthy. So that's how I would kind of distinction. Yeah, I think I think that's that's right. And I, I think also it helps us to focus on what the what the responsibilities are of those who are seeking trust, uh, which is you're suggesting to demonstrate their own trustworthiness. And, and it's certainly not to try and build trust, this terrible sort of, you know, <laughs> idea that you see a lot in the literature and in, in, in the, uh, the loose language around what's going on about building trust, but we can't build trust. That's, that's for somebody to give, not for somebody else to build. Whereas focusing on trustworthiness, it's about then saying, well, how, what do I need to do to demonstrate that, whether I be a researcher or a regulator or some other stakeholder in this, in this whole enterprise? Absolutely. You know, I, I think it, it, it suggests that there needs to be a, a, a bit more humility around, you know, what demonstrating trustworthiness means, you know, and I think that kind of language around 
building trust you know it suggests something that just can be you know plonked into a particular situation and then you know hey presto you've got trust and I think it really does a disservice to how trust you know can be supported uh, through trustworthy behavior so it kind of you know it, it applies quite a simple uh, scenario to something that's incredibly complex you know and involves many different moving parts but you're right you know I think if you, as soon as you start looking out for where this language of building trust uh, is used in many different contexts, you see it everywhere, you know, and trust is such an important concept, you know, and the actions that we're needed that are needed for not just in health research, but in, you know, society more generally to uh, to show trustworthiness, to demonstrate their trustworthiness. It just means that it sort of takes the heart away from it, you know, and it means we're really getting down to the nitty gritty of what's it what allowing people to trust us actually requires so I think it, it's about unpicking that but you know I think some of the debates that liminal spaces have uh, have you know started off in, in, in across its project should hope to kind of get these debates going and I know in the in the recent policy note that we've that we've drawn together we're calling for this kind of iterative process throughout research about thinking about what you know, whether researchers, whether other actors across the health research system are behaving in trustworthy ways. It's not something that can just be done on a one-off, you know, straight down the line basis. It has to be iterative. It has to be a cycle because it's too complex not to be. Yeah, and I like the, the, the value that you appealed to there in your answer about humility. There's a humility in, in seeking to demonstrate trustworthiness Whereas arguably there's a, there's a hubris in, in, in any attempt to build trust as if, yeah, that's something that's within our purview to do, which it simply isn't. So that value of, of, of sounds really central and important. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's move on to the question, Kate. Um, so in what ways then do you think the current health research regulation system demonstrates trustworthiness or helps actors to demonstrate trustworthiness? Okay, so... Uh, I've thought about this a bit, and you know, just going back to what we talked about, I, I need to have a, a little humility that these might not be the only answers. Um, but I've, I think there are at least five answers to how uh, the systems currently tr show that they're trustworthy. So I think perhaps the first way, and these are all sort of mechanisms, I guess, or uh, devices or actions that the health research systems um, use to show that they're trustworthy. So that's, that's sort of where I'm coming from here. So I think the first mechanism to think about is informed consent um, of potential participants. And again, this is looking at a, a participant-focused fo uh, trustworthy environment. And, and uh, I think the kind of requirement to have informed consent uh, indicates trustworthiness because it respects people uh, and their right to make decisions. Second, I think that the system shows it's trustworthy because uh, it makes a lot of effort to show that it will protect people's privacy who uh, are involved across research. Uh, this will be through, for example, holding data confidentially. And again, this reflects this kind of value of um, respecting, you know, people's autonomy, people's, you know, uh, right to privacy, the underlying currents. But I think uh, it, it's trustworthy because uh, it can invite people to take part in public engagement activities. So this is a good way of showing that the health research arena isn't a closed shop. Um, and this leads to the fourth point that it's it, it uses openness um, about, you know, what research is, what it's doing. So this be through publishing results for that 
that kind of thing. But I think at this point, it's just yeah, just as a little side note, it's important to differentiate to, between uh, openness and transparency. So I think Anora O'Neill had a really nice way of putting this, which was transparency is basically just putting stuff in the public domain. Now, you know, I'm, I haven't got a science background, but if someone were to put, you know, a, a data set out there and said, there you go, I'm being I'm being completely transparent here, you should be able to understand this. I probably wouldn't be able to. So openness of something more. And I think that's the point that the system uses to as a, as a mechanism to demonstrate trustworthiness, I'd say less so with transparency. And finally, I think um, it shows that it's trustworthy because it's accountable. And this is through regulations and standards to hold it to account. Um, and I guess, you know, this sort of gives it, you know, to itself some teeth to kind of make sure that research is undertaken in a way that shows that it has, you know, integrity, but also that there's that there is a kind of line of um, accountability should anything go wrong. So it adds as a kind of, you know, a reassurance to people who who rely on health research um, systems and, and their regulations. So with those five things in mind, I think I, I probably should add a couple of um, just other notes and sort of caveats on, on these. And the first that you know these are all this is a you know a list of five things, but they're not one-off events um, in in health research scenarios, and it's because health research itself isn't a single entity event it's um it's a trajectory so this research trajectory starts with uh for example, like normally with a proposal for a research project and it hopefully ends with treatments being delivered to patients or with better knowledge about a particular condition even if the treatments don't change um and in between these two book bookends on the trajectory are uh, other stages like uh, research ethics approval, testing, evaluation. And at each of these stages, everyone involved in research needs to think about whether they remain trustworthy, as we were just talking about. Um, and this is, assessment needs to be something that goes on throughout the research, not just, say, at the beginning. And, and the second point I'd like to make about these five things is that they, um, they're all candidates for demonstrating trustworthiness because I think they all reflect common values. And I talked about a few of those as we were talking those through, for example, showing respect for people's autonomy um but um that's why they matter that's why they represent trustworthiness so it's with without those sort of underlying values i think we would find that the mechanisms that are shown or held up to be demonstrations of trustworthiness wouldn't be able to hold that moniker those values um and then finally the other thing to finally note on these I think is that they don't sit in isolation from each other either they're um they're more of an ensemble rather than sort of solo artists they uh, they interact with each other they form a network of representations of trust so this means that where one demonstration of tr- trustworthiness is found lacking then another might take up the mantle um I, I think this leads to one final point if I may that uh these mechanisms for demonstrating trustworthiness of the system are themselves fragmented. So sometimes they'll be prominent in the research trajectory I mentioned, and other times they may only apply to a particular point. And this raises a bit of a problem, and that's that these uh, demonstrations of trustworthiness are battling an environment that is shifting constantly in, and is a very uncertain environment. So it means they have a bit of a struggle on their hands, I guess. Mm. Yeah, can I just pick up on that? Going back to your first two points, consent and, and uh, sort of respecting privacy, um, 
some types of research, it's just not possible or practicable to try and get consent. In other um, types of research, it's not uh, possible or practical for the, from the research point of view to, to anonymize data as fully as one might want because data are not useful to answer the research question. So what do you think that means for trustworthiness if we can't rely on, on what, what might look like I'm not, protect, I'm not respecting your autonomy and I'm not respecting your privacy. I, th- I think this is why it's important to think of these as an ensemble group and not a solo uh, actor. And it's, it's because they all work together. They, you know, together they're strong, separate they're weak because exactly that reason that you've just said, you know, there may be circumstances where one demonstration of trustworthiness can't be used for, for various reasons. So when that does happen, then you have to then think about what other demonstration of trustworthiness you can use to ensure that you continually demonstrate you're trustworthy to the people who matter. So you don't just give up at that point and go, well, in this situation, we can't guarantee or, you know, we can't we can't you know offer strong uh, promises of privacy. If you can't do that, then you then need to think about, OK, how else can I demonstrate trust? So this is where a collection of, of different demonstrations of trust comes in. And why it has to be seen as a network, I think. So that's how you kind of work around that, I think. Because obviously, you know, absolutely, you're right. There will be situations where one particular demonstration of trustworthiness just won't be feasible. Mm-hmm. I think there are two other concepts that occur to me just as you're, you're talking there that may, that may sort of be relied upon to, in, a, in attempts to demonstrate trust. And these are public interest that, that one can demonstrate that the research is, uh, furthers a particular public interest and also the social value and not just one single social value of a scientific benefit that might come from the research but there could be a plethora of, of different types of social value that come from um, research and for listeners that are interested we've, we've written po- uh, policy notes and concept notes on, on these two concepts uh, on our website but what do you think Kate about the, the role of those two two notions? Yeah I think the public interest one's an interesting is an interesting one. You know, I think it's quite a, a difficult concept to understand, and I'm not sure. I think you probably know more about this than I actually, Graham. That you know whether the whether it's technically a mechanism or an action in in health research scenarios, or whether it's something that we can claim. You know, so if if it's something that is is sort of overarching research rather than a mechanism of showing trustworthiness, I don't. I'm not sure. Um, and I think the same sort of goes for social value in that, you know, that's the whole point of all research. And again, it's an overarching aim of research, but it's then all, it, it, I think that the demonstrations of trustworthiness all kind of um, contribute to how that social value might be realised. Whereas I think social value feels like more of a general aim of all research, that all research should deliver social value. And obviously there are ways that we can use those demonstrations of trust to show that we're, you know, that we're promoting uh, social value or public interest. So I think that would go to the kind of openness uh, of the research and, you know, and and also around public engagement as well, I guess, you know, showing that uh, why we're doing the research, why it's important, what it means for society. So I think that it can be captured by those mechanisms, those sorts of ways of being open and making research a kind of open shop. But I think also, so it's, it's sort of, they both they both overarch research, but they are also kind of represented by those demonstrations of trust. So I think they they feel a little bit different to me. But I think um, I'd probably have to think about that a little more. So, well, if I could just uh, attempt to answer one question that you sort of threw at me there about public interest, 
And we, what, what, what work does it do in the health research ecosystem? I think um, it rather depends, you know, who you're asking. So a lawyer could and would say that, well, public interest is there in law. It appears more than 70 times in the Data Protection Act. Um, it, 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 it is a lawful basis for processing personal, personal data. So therefore, it can be relied upon to make sure that, some, that, that, that uh, certain types of research are lawful. But that does not translate to a justifiable, robust demonstration of trustworthiness. Just because something's lawful doesn't make it ethical or socially acceptable. It certainly doesn't demonstrate that there's social license. Yeah? So if we, if we do want in the case that there's a public interest basis for, let's say, using data or tissue or, or whatever it might be to, to justify a particular type of research, then the onus is on those who seek to do that, to demonstrate why there's a public interest, what it consists of, and why that is a preferable regulatory route rather than something like consent or um, privacy protection. Absolutely. Now, I'm interested in hearing a little bit more about your research then. So um, what is it that your research will bring to our deeper understandings of trust and trustworthiness then and how they operate in health research and its regulation? Okay, so um, I think just, just, just to start on that, I think, um, as I've mentioned, that demonstrations of trustworthiness, I'll put my teeth in in a second, um, can struggle a bit because of... Uh, the uncertainties and the changeable nature of the research trajectory that I mentioned. Um, so I don't think, as, we, as I've said already, I don't think it just means that the research system then just gives up where these sort of struggles or tensions arise. You, they need to, the system needs to think about how can trust continually be promoted in this ever-changing and uncertain environment. So to tackle that question, which I think is an important question, and again, this kind of iterative, continually thinking about sort of trust uh, demand. Uh, I introduced something that are called uh, proxies of trust. So I guess in in legal debates more generally, proxies are um, someone or something that acts in place of um, another person or something else. Um, and I think in in the context of health research here um, and its regulation, proxies of trust are the uh, these demonstrations of trust that we've just been talking about. Basically, they're the actions or mechanisms that show that the regulatory systems that support health research are trustworthy. Perhaps like unlike in other context, legal contexts, um, as we've just been discussing, um, these proxies can't always be be relied on to demonstrate trustworthiness um, because they might not be possible to use, but also because trust is fickle. Um, and we might look to one proxy of trust, um, let's say in, informed consent, as a way of demonstrating uh, the trustworthiness of the of the research endeavour. But when we call on it, then we might find that other factors mean that it's a bit of a damp squib for showing its trustworthiness. So, you know, it's always not possible. So it, it, I think that it's because research is, is this sort of uncertain enterprise. It means that we can't always rely on those proxies of trust as we've just been discussing. So we need to know what to do in that situation where we find ourselves, you know, floundering and going, well, we can't use this or this doesn't work or this won't do what we need to do to demonstrate our trustworthiness. So I think that we, we need to think about a sort of reflective uh, framework, I guess, to help work through these sort of reflections and uh, evaluations. I, I can talk a little bit about my, about my framework, if that would be a good thing to do. Or... Yes, please. Key to each of these proxies abilities to demonstrate trustworthiness is that they all reflect common values, as I've already talked about. But um, these values, like the proxies and the health research arena itself, they're not uniform. And this is because they're subject to many different influences you know across research all different types of health research is so different so 
uh, they'll have different time frames, they'll be carried out in different contexts. So instead of looking to a um, a defined set of norms that we can look to as a sort of, I, I don't know, like an ethical paint by numbers, my view is that we need a framework to reflect that lack of, in, of, of, uni, of uniformity. Um, so I, this framework that I've, I've, that I've proposed, um, what, what I want to do is to support people working across health research to be better prepared for future stresses to proxy trust. Um, and, you know, with the current COVID pand- pandemic, then we can really see that trust, you know, has been pressed significantly. Um, so, you know, I think we need to then approach it carefully and iteratively. So um, there are three things I think we need to, need to do for to prepare ourselves for current, also future jeopardies to trustworthiness. Um, and the thing that we need to do first, I think, is understand how to anticipate and measure the robustness or the fragility uh, of a proxy of trust. Um, and this would assist us in a second task that we need to do, which is to recognise when a proxy of trust is under threat. And the first two things there um, will help us to hopefully be in a better position to tackle the third point, which is to recognise the need for any new proxies of trust and to develop them accordingly. Um, so just to sort of take you through the broad steps of the framework, and obviously, you know, I, I realise this is a short podcast, so I'll try and canter through these pretty quickly. But the overarching question of the framework that I've developed guides researchers and others to answer is whether they and their health research uh, endeavours are demonstrating trustworthiness to an optimal level. Now, as you mentioned earlier, of course, this might go broader than researchers, but of course, let's just let's just keep to research now because I think it will make it a simpler thing to to discuss here. Um, so, to reach an answer, I think that they have to consider three questions. First, what proxies of trust are they already demonstrating? For example, informed consent, openness, public engagement, as we've talked about. So, this is basically an audit. And then I suggest that they need to move to from audit to analysis, where researchers then consider how successfully these proxies demonstrate trustworthiness across their, uh, the trajectory of their research. For example, are there some points where demonstrations of trustworthiness are absent, as we've discussed, or uh, if they're in jeopardy? Um, and are any of the ethical values that underpin those demonstrations of trust underrepresented? Third point is that if those proxies of trust demonstrate are found wanting at any point, then we need to think about what's at risk. And this might be stuff like uh, damage to reputation, you know, um, jeopardising future research or collapsing the research endeavour at hand. So, you know, it it basically thinks, right, what's on the line? When the researchers or institutions, you know, the actors who are working across research consider these three questions, they need to be able to answer, well, they should be able to answer the question of, whether they're demonstrating their trustworthiness to an optimal level. And then I guess like one of those children's books where you kind of, you know, pick your own adventure, they've got two options. So if they think they are um, demonstrating their trustworthiness to an optimal level, then I think they need to do two things. First, obviously, they continue with their research and the proxy of trust they've identified to uh, that demonstrate their trustworthiness in, in their endeavours. But secondly, and most importantly, I think that they shouldn't rest on their laurels. And the, the three questions previously need to keep being revisited throughout the research and And this, again, demonstrate, demonstrates humility, but it also recognises that the answer to the question might change throughout their research. You know, when research begins, there are so many different kind of things that happen between that beginning and the end of research that, you know, so, OK, I'm demonstrating trustworthiness here, but 
then just kind of give up on it. It just doesn't, it's not a fair representation of how research works. It has to be iterative. You have to keep thinking about it because it really matters to people. Right? Yeah. You mentioned the trajectory before, but of course that's not linear, that trajectory. Sometimes you have to feed back. Sometimes you have to, to look back. Sometimes it will take different directions. So it's, it is a trajectory ultimately, but it's certainly not one that's just you know, one step after another. So you don't know what that might mean for trusting. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's not, it's not linear. Um, and, you know, you might be sort of be sent back to square one, so to speak. Um, but for, but for, for this framework, I think what what matters is even when that happens, then it, what where that does happen, then there might be a, a demonstration of trust that's meant that that's happened. So that could be part of your analysis. But throughout, regardless of what happens on that trajectory, on that nonlinear trajectory, as you, as you know, you need to keep thinking about trustworthiness because... I, get, I think it. I think it helps, you know, and it just sort of helps you sort of have a more ethical research proposition. You know? um, but I think obviously there are there will be situations where you find that you know, having gone through those questions, that you're not demonstrating trust and optimal levels. So then you go, okay, right, that these proxies that I've got already aren't working, you know, or they're not working as they should. They're not doing enough. So then we think about what new proxies might be introduced um, and consider what values they might represent. Um, so what I'm saying here is that, you know, the five things that I've mentioned are, are a completely non-exhaustive list. There will be other mechanisms, actions, you know, we've, we've talked about public interest and social value already as potential other candidates. There'll be other things that emerge that you think, okay, would be a, a good demonstration of trust. But I think the key is that you think about it and you keep thinking about it throughout the process of research. You demonstrate your thought processes and you make you, you make them explicit i would imagine yeah i think so you know and i th- i think you have to kind of share that as well so i think you know this, is, this has been emphasized in some of the policy briefs that we've drawn up that it's not very well that you've sort of behaving ethically but it's the research is a whole system and everyone has to benefit from everybody else's knowledge about what's worked well what's worked badly how demonstrations of trustworthiness worked how they failed what it meant so that we all learn from it you know rather than kind of just operating in silos where we kind of clutch our knowledge to ourselves about what went well or what went badly. But it's also, again, showing that kind of humility that what doesn't seem particularly important to us and, you know, a, a demonstration of trustworthiness in one particular research scenario must be might be really important for somebody else who comes along and stumbles into a, a similar issue. So it's that kind of shared environment that I think is really important. So I think it, it should be open. And I think, you know, some sort of, you know, I haven't thought about this an awful lot, but some sort of forum where trust can be, you know, prompted to be discussed. And I think funders and regulators have a role in kind of promoting the importance of trustworthiness and that researchers should think about that throughout their research. You know, that's where the, the teeth of this sort of uh, important, you know, of these important questions might come from. Excellent. Okay, thank you so much. So for our listeners, um, this framework of proxies of trust that uh, Kate is talking about, um, she's written that up as an article. At the time of recording this podcast, it's out for peer review. Um, but as soon as it's connected, we will put it up on our website. But for now, Kate, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. Thank you for listening to the Liminal Spaces podcast. To learn more about the project and to listen to the full series, please visit us at www.liminalspaces.ed.ac.uk. 
This has been a production of Edinburgh Law School at the University of Edinburgh.